I'm Gabe Friedman, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, I spoke to Peter Fries, a professor of mechanical, automotive, and materials engineering at the University of Windsor, the heart of Canada's automotive manufacturing sector. Fries told me the automotive industry is in the midst of the largest transition in its history. He praised federal and provincial governments across Canada for putting money down to entice auto and battery makers to build their plants here, which he said would create jobs for decades to come. Fries told me the changes happening to the automotive are going to change our relationship with vehicles and will also bring a cascade of impacts up and down the supply chain. As always, the interview is edited for clarity and brevity. Peter Fries, welcome to Down to Business, and thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's good to talk to you, Gabe. So you've taken the position that the auto industry is in the midst of the most significant transformation in its history. Clearly, an EV transition is already underway, but somewhere less than 5% of all vehicles in Canada are electric vehicles. Are we still in the early adopter stage? Uh, as Churchill said, it's not the beginning of the end, but it's the end of the beginning. <laughs> early adopters, I mean, some of them were hobbyists. They literally took conventional cars and converted them to electric power. I had a student do that uh, when I taught at Carleton University, you know, almost 30 years ago. He converted a, a Honda Civic. He drove it in Ottawa every day for two years and it worked fine. But now you're starting to see kind of mainstream consumers who are not really interested in the technology. They just find the attraction of an electric vehicle to be compelling and and so they're buying them. And, and the, the automakers have a much wider range of vehicle offerings, and that is going to greatly expand in the next couple of years. So, yeah, I think we're at the beginning of the end of the early adopter stage. The other thing is that it's very regional. In southern Canada, you see electric cars fairly often. But, you know, if you were in rural Saskatchewan, my guess is you wouldn't see them very often at all. The other point to note is that the average age of an automobile in North America is somewhere between 10 and 11 and a half years. And so it's going to take a long time, even as sales accelerate of electric cars, for a large percentage of the vehicles on the road are electric. And of course, that number is affected by affordability. It's the major thing that affects the rate of replacement of the existing vehicle fleet. And of course, affordability is going down right now because inflation is going up and interest rates are going up. And so it, it remains to be seen just how big this, the economic slowdown will be, but it's going to affect the automotive market. Stepping back, I want to ask you about investment in the EV supply chain in Canada. We now have two cathode plants in Quebec. We have a cathode plant and a battery cell plant in Ontario and numerous EV assembly plants throughout the province many of which have been announced in the past six months. The momentum has clearly shifted for this industry, but is the auto sector poised to grow? Grow is a, <laughs> that, that's a complicated word. I don't know, but what it does do, there's no question about it. It does protect what we have for, you know, a long time into the future, you know, several decades at least. Without those announcements of the battery factory and the subsequent announcements, battery material and battery component factories sprinkled across southern Ontario and a little bit into Quebec, the future for Canada's auto industry, in my estimation, would, would be relatively bleak. But we have a bright future. I think we have you know, many billions of dollars of new investments in new technologies, which will be useful to the industry for 
decades to come. It will help solidify the case for mining battery materials in northern Canada, which will provide jobs and growth for people who live in those locations. And it's absolutely crucial for the future of the economy of the country in terms of manufacturing and automotive manufacturing. Right. So one question, some people would say an EV has fewer parts and therefore there's going to be fewer workers on the floor. Uh, Go ahead. An EV has fewer moving parts. But there's quite a difference between an assembly plant and a powertrain plant. How can I put this? So the the powertrain of the car is the part that makes the car go down the road, the the engine, the transmission, and so on. In an EV, the powertrain is the electric motor, the motor controller, the thing that really sort of connects between the accelerator pedal and, and the motor itself. And and then of course the battery. Well, what we have done in the last few months is secure battery electric powertrain plants. That's where the big money is. A a battery plant or an engine plant or a motor plant is usually a larger investment for an automaker than an assembly plant. We also have excellent assembly plants here, and they can be adapted to build electric vehicles. They could remain building gasoline vehicles. The the type of powertrain is not really fundamental to an assembly plant. Interesting. How much of this is going to be automated, given like what you see in other areas? Well, you have to draw a distinction between the powertrain and the assembly of the vehicle. Assembling a vehicle is not easy to automate. All vehicles have a lot of wiring in them, electrical wiring. And it, it, it's been found that it's very difficult to automate the installation of a flexible component like wiring. If, if you pick up a piece of wire, it sort of flops around like a garden hose in your hand. Well, it's it's really hard for a robot to handle that. And yet human beings are extremely good at it. So I'm not sure how much more automation will be going into assembly. I think that assembly plants will continue to be relatively labor-intensive places. The number of jobs in powertrain plants, I think, will drop. An electric motor is a much simpler piece of equipment than an internal combustion engine. It has, you know, incredibly fewer moving parts. And the parts tend to be generally simpler and they tend to lend themselves towards automated manufacturing and assembly. So I think that for powertrain plants, which build electric motors and controllers and batteries, you'll see a lot more automation. So what that means is that the jobs in those plants will be much higher value jobs. There'll be ro- you know, robotics programming, maintenance repair, things like that, design of fixturing. There'll be a lot more engineering and technician jobs in the powertrain plant and fewer of the lower skilled assembly jobs. Interesting. So another aspect of this is that the a lot of the value in an electric vehicle resides in the battery. Yes. So what types of impact does that have for Canadian auto parts suppliers? Right. Well, you want to be as high up the value chain as possible. You don't want to be making, you know, ashtray lids because they're very simple parts. They don't have a high value. You can't charge very much for them. It doesn't take a lot of technology or, in fact, human resources to make them. And so they're a commodity. There will always be somebody in another country who's willing to make them for less than you can make them. We're a relatively high-cost manufacturing environment. All the G7 countries are. And so why does business come here? Well, because they need access to the high-value people who are required to run those factories. And so the auto part companies 
will be under increased pressure to lower costs and reduce weight. Electric vehicles require even more careful attention to light weighting than conventional vehicles because the amount of energy available in a battery is lower than the amount of energy available in a tank of gasoline. So for the vehicle to have good driving performance and, and long range and you know eventually be able to tow a trailer or something, you really need to have the rest of the vehicle be as light as possible. So people who make seats, windscreens, you know, other interior parts, uh, other parts of the vehicle, the, the body components, the brakes and so on, they will be under a lot of pressure to lower the weight of their components and to lower the cost because the battery is so expensive. In order to have a competitive price for the car, if you're putting more money into the battery, you have less money to spend on other parts of the car. So the auto parts industry is a tough industry, a very important industry, and Canada is very, very good at it, but it is challenging, and the challenges aren't going away. I mean, that's what I had thought, right, is that a large part of our auto sector is auto parts, and so that may be an area that's going to come under pressure. Well, you know, they're always under pressure, really, and that's just not going away. They'll be searching for opportunities to get higher up the value chain to put more functionality into their parts and make sure that it continues to be competitive to make parts in Canada. It's a challenge. Do you expect some of that pressure will ease as EV adoption increases and you start producing batteries at scale? And so you see economies of scale? Yeah, I think so. I I think that the cost of electric vehicles will come down. But I think that with all the introduction of EV technology plus autonomous driving technology and new safety equipment on the vehicles and all those sorts of things, cars are just generally going to become more expensive because they will be more complex and more capable. If you drive a car that's 10 years old now, which many people do, it's a much simpler piece of equipment than a car that was built, you know, this year. There's a lot more technology on it. It's safer. It's more efficient. It uses less energy, whether it's gasoline, diesel, battery, electric power. Gee, it's more comfortable. It's quieter, has more features and all that sort of thing. And, and there's a cost to all of that. I, I have to say, and I don't work for any of the auto companies, but I have to say, I think it's pretty remarkable how good modern cars are. You know, when I, when I first started out, I used to ask a room full of people I was speaking to, Put up your hand if your car didn't start in the last year. And usually half a dozen hands would go up. But now, if I ask that question, you know, it just doesn't happen. I mean, should we be expecting, though, that as we sort of reinvent the car, that we're going to see some hiccups like that? I have heard of hiccups like that, actually, in EVs. Yeah, there will always be, you know, no device built by humans is perfect. But generally speaking, with robotics and, you know, assembling the electronics, it'll be more consistent and more reliable. The number of problems that people will have will hopefully drop as uh, economies of scale kick in. I think one thing, though, with the complexity of modern vehicles and future vehicles, troubleshooting or fixing a problem will be even more challenging. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot more complex to be a service technician in the future. They're going to have to know a lot more about electronics and electrical systems. They're going to have to have a whole new range of diagnostic tools. You know, the complexity of a modern automobile is really quite astounding if you get right into it. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. A lot of people focus on the fact that EVs are low emission or zero emission. Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of automakers 
are simultaneously pouring lots of money into zero collision technology, into autonomous self-driving technology. How do you expect our relationship to the auto to change? I think that, that that's a really good question. It's, it's a very interesting time in the auto industry because in general, young people were seen as the market that car companies wanted. If they could get someone to start buying their brand of car when that person is 20 or 25 years old, hopefully they had a customer for life. And you used to see that, you know, one family would always have a Ford in the driveway and another family would always have a Chrysler in the driveway or a Toyota or whatever. First of all, I think that brand loyalty has really kind of evaporated. People will buy the best vehicle that represents the best value for the money they have available. And that's just how the marketplace is going. The other thing is, though, that a lot of younger people are not that interested in cars. They really don't care. They're, they're much more interested in tech, in their phone, in their home entertainment system, whatever it might be. And so a lot of uh, city dwellers, especially younger people, don't own a car and don't intend to own a car. They know how to drive. And when they need a car, they use a, a car sharing service. Uh, so a lot of the car companies have invested in those car sharing services as a means of getting their vehicles out on the road and getting people into them. But as cars become more expensive and cities grow and today's younger generation ages, it may be that the increases in car sales become much, much slower as more and more people just decide that it's better to share a car. So the cost of the car will go up, but the cost to an individual to use it will go down because more individuals are using them. Most people use their car for commuting, imagine. It's probably sitting around 22 hours a day. Exactly. It seems like one of these areas that's ripe for innovation. Exactly. Well, you know, it, that's an awful lot of capital that's high up when at least 90% of the time it isn't doing anything. Right. It's not contributing to anything. And the amount of space that we devote to parking lots and, and so on is enormous. If you see a map of a big city, huge areas are devoted to car parking lots where all the cars are sitting there not doing anything for hours on end. So it's it's an interesting conundrum. And, and the thing is, our world nowadays is sort of built around the car. It's not easy to get everywhere you want to go without a private vehicle. No, it's like a rite of passage into adulthood to get a driver's license in some ways. Well, it, it get, yeah, but again, getting a driver's license isn't the same as owning a car. Th this is the point. I have three daughters, and uh, at least one of them at one point didn't own a car, and she and her husband just simply used car sharing services. They lived in downtown Toronto. They both drove. They both knew how to drive, and they drove quite regularly, but they didn't own a car and didn't need a car and certainly didn't want one because parking a car in downtown Toronto is brutally expensive. Yeah. Used to be that when somebody got a driver's license, almost invariably within a short time, they would own a car. Well, now that's just not the case. So keying off of this, the federal government and provincial governments in Quebec and Ontario have poured billions of dollars into incentives to lure battery plants, EV assembly plants, etc. Do you have a view on whether these investments are going to pay off? I, I think without question, they will. Without question. No major auto project, you know, new factory or whatever, has been constructed in the last probably 35 or 40 years without government investment. Right. Uh, anywhere, anywhere. You know, people who aren't close to the auto industry may not realize that. But if, if we decided, for, ex for example, to say that 
you know, the government will no longer ever assist industry in making an investment. We will just not do that anymore. We would essentially be deciding that we are willing to lose the entire industry within a period of, you know, a decade or so. We would never get another major factory because other jurisdictions will continue to make those investments and they will get them. And so all the people who live here who would have worked in that factory, where will they work? They don't own a farm. They're not a farmer. You don't need as many stores if there aren't as many people walking around with money buying things. You don't need as many restaurants. So it's sort of the way the economy works now. The governments assist industry to make investments. Industry makes the investments, employs lots and lots of people who pay lots and lots of taxes. The government gets money back. It's not the government's money. It's the taxpayer's money. But the point is, yeah, these investments do pay off. There's just no question about that. I know the process by which the government makes the investments can seem slow. In my view, they're very, very careful. Virtually all of these investments are made in, on a very sensible business case basis. A major automaker assembly plant is generally felt to have a spin-off job effect of about six to 10. So for every job that's in the plant, there are six to 10 other jobs out in the economy, making parts, the truck drivers who deliver the parts back and forth from the plants, the people who work in restaurants where the people who work in the plant eat. So a, a major auto plant is a, is a huge job creator, not just in itself, but for the rest of the economy. And so for the government to make an investment in that plant is a, really a very wise and long-range decision. Yeah. So we've done that and we've sort of reversed the flow. The 90s were all about sort of automakers moving to cheaper jurisdictions. The momentum has changed. Any predictions about challenges that lie ahead? Well, I, funny, when I first became involved with the auto industry, one of the people I worked with, who was a senior executive in a car company, said to me, the thing you have to understand here is there is no done. We're never done. This year, we've got these great investments in battery plants. But next year, the year after, the year after that, there'll be some other thing. And we don't step forward and make our case and be competitive and so on, it'll go somewhere else. And that'll be another four or 5,000 jobs or whatever that we don't get. Now, we can't get all of them, but getting more is better than getting less. So that, that's the point. It's never over. There is no done. Well, Peter, it was terrific to talk with you. Thanks so much for sharing your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. That was Peter Fries. Thank you so much for listening and supporting our show. Thanks also to Bryce Hall, who executive produced this show and composed and performed the original music. Thanks as well to Pamela Heaven, Victoria Wells, and Noella Ovid for web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. Until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.